You're listening to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 111. All right, welcome to the Maniverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and this is the podcast where we explore what it takes to build a successful, friendly local game store. If you like what you hear on today's episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever fine platform you're listening on. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe button and leave a comment letting us know your thoughts. As always, you can find the notes and links mentioned in today's episode at ManiverseSaga.com. The bottom line is, if you want to grow your game store in 2022 and beyond and join the ranks of the most successful game stores in the world, you need a digital marketing strategy that works. You can get your customized digital marketing plan right now by going to manaversaga.com forward slash MMA to book your free strategy session. Once that's booked, we'll do a full assessment of your current digital presence. We'll do a deep dive into each of the six elements of digital marketing for your game store to identify what's working and what's missing. Then we put together a customized strategy for your business, and then when we're on the call, we will work together to identify the unique aspects of your brand that set you apart from your competitors as well as figure out who your ideal customer is and how to attract more of them. At the end of the call, you will have a framework for building out a complete digital marketing strategy for your game store, and you can find out how we can get all of that implemented for you over the next 90 days. Let's make 2022 your best year yet. Book your strategy session today by going to manaversaga.com forward slash MMA. Today, we are talking to Dustin Stats. Dustin is the owner and founder of Board Gaming with Education and BGE Tabletop. He has experience teaching English as a second language to a variety of age levels, from kindergarten to university. He also works in the field of education in various capacities. And BGE started off as a podcast in 2017 and has expanded into a platform for educators to learn how to incorporate games into their curriculum with a brick-and-mortar storefront plan for 2022. Welcome to the podcast, Dustin. Thanks, Tom. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to chat about game stores. This is really exciting. So I like to begin with, you know, your story as to like, how did you get into this business? Why did you mm. want to open a game store? You know, how, where did the desire to really kind of like go in this direction for your life come from? So what's your origin story for uh, BGE? Right. Um, so my wife and I, we got married almost five years ago now. Um, when we got married, we're, we wanted to move abroad and we decided to move to Taiwan because she studied there and I, her and I both lived and taught in mainland China. So we wanted to continue with the Chinese language. She wanted to continue studying. I wanted to continue teaching internationally. So we moved to Taiwan. Um, my goal there was to start a business. And when I moved there, I started a, um, it's an IELTS, which is an international t English test service. Um, we started like a tutoring service online. So I started doing that. And I was doing pretty well. We were, I got to the point where like I was getting students, I was actually making money from it, but I kind of quickly learned that I wasn't super passionate about it. Um, so I shifted focus almost entirely and started a podcast about board games, using board games for using or for learning English. Um, so the podcast was centered around this idea that a student can listen to the episode, get the vocabulary they need to play the game understand the grammar they need to play the game, understand the rules, and then be able to go play the game in English. Um, and then also teachers could potentially use that as, whether it's supplemental materials or use it in their classroom and then play the game in their classroom. Um, and we found out that a lot of teachers were, non-English language teachers were tuning into the episodes. And so we branched out and went with 
board game with education. And we kind of talked about how we can use games for learning in a larger context. And we even had some guests that talk about video games in the classroom. Um, but our main focus is kind of board games. And I started running events in Taiwan based around this. Um, so we, we started doing like uh, board game meetups where um, we, ho- we rented out this bottom area of this cafe. It was a friend's cafe. And we got to a point where we were essentially having to turn people away because it was kind of standing room only. At, where we didn't ever turn them away, but they could always come. But we're like, well, there's not really a table to sit down, but you're welcome to like hang out and have a drink or whatever. Um, so, yeah, we did that in Taiwan, and then we kind of had this plan, my wife and I, that we weren't going to stay in Taiwan much longer. We were there for three years. Um, and so moving back, I wanted to implement kind of the same time of business idea where we would run and host events centered around tabletop gaming. Um, and we started doing that, um, but then we all know the pandemic hit, so uh, I shifted focus and started selling the game. So I started reaching out to publishers and asking, hey, I have this idea of creating like curriculum or lesson plans around your games. Would you mind if we start selling your games and then, <clears throat> excuse me, and then as a complimentary of our, if a customer purchases, purchases through us complimentary, they will receive the re- learning resources with their game, the digital resources. Um, so we started doing that uh, 2000, what's this year? This year's 2020. <laughs> it's so hard to keep up. So 2021 with the <laughs> pandemic. So 2020 of October, 2020, we started doing that. We had like going into the holiday season of 2020, we had like 40 games. Um, so that was like where we really just started doing it. It was very much online um, focused. And then now this last holiday season, we were, we rented a kiosk in the mall um, and we still are developing learning resources, but we've kind of expanded our, um, I guess our product catalog to more, like you can see, I have Pokemon cards behind me. Do a little bit of magic, um, other board games too. But yeah, we still have that really central focus of uh, the positive impacts of tabletop games, whether that's at home learning in the classroom or just building relationships and connections with each other and even ourselves. That's a really cool way to combine two worlds. Really, like it's it's a very unique take on board gaming because not not many people are coming at it from the educational standpoint and and really using it as that uh, educational learning tool it's a really interesting way of doing it uh what kind of goes into for my own education what kind of goes into the process of creating these learning resources like uh, how much time do you invest in that and you know like tell me a little bit more about that yeah i would say um it depends on the game i think some games are very easy to adapt for the classroom Um, a lot of the the main focus or main questions or main concerns, I guess, that teachers or educators have is the amount of time it takes to play the game, the amount of time it takes to learn the game, does it work with the number of players, and does it target the content we're learning? So we have to start with one of those three things, or maybe even all three. But we look at, for example, um, there's Nerd Words, which is a game by Genius Games. That was the first game we developed learning resources for. Um, And it was also a game that we could use virtually. So at the time, all classrooms and schools were online. So we were looking at games. Well, what game can we adapt as a virtual game also to develop learning resources that teachers can use in their curriculum? So um, NerdWords, I think, has a cap on the player count on the box, but technically you can play with as many number of people as you want. Um, We developed this, like, slide deck. It's kind of a program that a lot of teachers use through the pandemic where uh, students can really interact with the PowerPoint that they're presenting. Um, it's not a PowerPoint, but whatever 
brand it is. Um, sure. Just kind of looking at what we need to change a part of the game and then how can we incorporate the content as a part of that gaming process. So we kind of have a an outline of targeted resources we include. Like we have a lesson plan. We look at what content standards it hits. We also develop like a comprehension handout. So um, I think at the minimum, all the games that we have resources have at least a comprehension hand, handout where you can ask questions after playing the game. Um, another game that I looked at, um, Evolution, I created a handout where throughout the game, students plot the amount of animals or food and resources in the game so they can see how scarcity kind of eliminates other creatures in that game. If you've ever played Evolution, like once food starts running out, creatures start dying. Or you see something where in the game you can develop a carnivore creature and you kind of see what happens when that carnivore creature comes part of the game. Cool. No, I was just curious about the the uh, the mechanics of creating this kind of uh, content. So, do you hmm, thoughts? Do you offer it to uh, everybody? Is everyone who purchases a game from you? Do you like automatically include these resources on top of the, the product? And like, how does how does the delivery work? Like, if is is it all digital or is some of it uh, like hard copy or the papers involved? Yeah, um, it's all digital. I mean, yeah, I think we we've had some like printed resources at. Uh, some conventions or like events we went to, but um, yeah, it's all digital. When you purchase the game, for example, let's look at like Wingspan. If you purchase Wingspan from us, automatically when you check out, you'll get a chance to download the digital resources. If you have an account on our website, you should be able to just log in and download them at any time. Um, also, if you purchase a game from us now and we have yet to develop resources, you will receive an email. Um, with those resources in the future. So, for example, WearWords, we're, we're just finishing resources for that. So if anybody has purchased WearWords from us in the past, as long as they kind of have their email on account, uh, email on file with us, they can get those resources, or they can just reach out to us. Where are you now in the process? So you've gone from you know building out this educational brand, right, helping educators and, and helping people use games to teach language, uh, but now you're focusing on going from a online only situation to more of a brick and mortar storefront. Uh, where are you at the process now and what's uh, what's going into the consideration there? Right. Yeah. I mean, one, like I like doing the online aspect of it, but there's a couple of challenges with that. And one major reason I'm kind of pushing for a brick and mortar store is really that community aspect, having that community space for our guests or customers um and we're kind of at the process where right now we just moved back from the kiosk at the mall you can tell like there's there's a lot of inventory in this small little office space um and if we find something that we can turn into kind of a temporary solution until we can kind of really get that ultimate brick and mortar store that we want to open up where it's like the the goal um, but if we can find like an office space or something where we can kind of have people w- with hosting events or anything like that, we'll probably do that sooner than later. Um, so that's kind of what where we're at now is just looking for a space, looking for uh, maybe an opportunity that comes up sooner than later. Um, and just having that space for people to come play and host events is a big thing. We'll do, even if we don't have a space, I mean, we do events in the local community too. Like we have a, uh, pop up at the cafe that we're doing. We're hosting also, we're exhibiting at a um, 
game-based learning conference. So it's a conference at a local school where they specifically talk about using games in the classroom. So really excited to be involved in those things too. You mentioned that you had a kiosk in the mall. So what was that experience like getting into that? How did you, I guess, how did you uh, initially, you know, have that conversation with the mall in order to open the kiosk? And then what was it like having people come, you know, all mm-hmm. <laughs> from all walks of life to your, uh, your, your booth there? Yeah, it's, it was, it was a huge learning experience. And I think like, I feel I've made some good decisions easing into opening a game store because I'm going from online to events and then an actual like agreement with a mall for a couple months and then the store. And it helps me get these systems and processes in place. Like I'm really at the point where now I know how I can kind of run my inventory. I'd love to talk to some experienced game store owners and talk about how they do it, but (laughs) I'm kind of learning as I go. Um, But yeah, like as far as going to the mall and talking with them, um, I was looking at like we were doing events and I was looking at, well, I know that having a space over the holiday weekend is going to be worth it, but where can I do it? And I reached out malls actually the previous year and I'm so glad I did not do anything the previous year because I was definitely not ready for that. Um, But this year I'm glad I did. And even this year I had to really like grow my inventory just to get to the point of opening that kiosk. Um, Like we, we probably doubled our inventory and to prepare for the holiday season. Um, And I reached out to one mall and then this mall and this mall kind of had a better offer as far as how much it costs because LA is very expensive. And the one mall I was looking at that was too expensive was something like $5,500 for the month of December. And that is really crazy for a kiosk in a mall. Um, so I wonder what that worked out to in yeah. terms of square footage that you're taking up on the floor. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, we eventually found one that, I mean, it was still pretty expensive. It, the place we paid is still more expensive than brick and mortar places I was looking at in December. In November, it was a little bit cheaper because they, they increase it for the holiday. Um so that was that was part of like kind of just securing an agreement with the mall. Is I mean it's pretty straightforward. I just reached out to them. They asked me what I expect to do in sales. They have a I don't know what it's called, but essentially if you do so much in sales, they take a percentage too. Um, but I had to do like a number that I was like, oh my gosh, if I did that, I would be super happy. Um, we came pretty close to it, so I was I was actually still pretty happy with that. Um, but then as far as like customers that come to the mall, we. We really expanded our product line like after the first week, maybe in the second week. We all, we're also doing Comic-Con in December too. So we were kind of looking at what products would do well at Comic-Con and also do well with like the general population. Maybe not so much gamers, but just people that were walking by the kiosk and they might see something that interests them. So we started carrying like plushes. I don't know if you're familiar with the Squishable brand. They're kind of pretty popular now and a lot of game stores are starting to carry this plush brand. Um and then, like, uh, anime figures. Anime is, like, super popular right now. So anything anime-related, we started carrying. Um, and that that really, like, that saved us. I think that was a big, uh, a good decision, I think, on our part to be able to kind of expand our product line. And it really kind of helped bring people in and kind of notice what we are, too. It sounds like something you would recommend if, uh, if someone's considering it. Maybe that's a nice little stepping stone between the actual uh, brick-and-mortar lease commitment maybe find a, a a local mall and uh try to try to get some real feedback from real mm-hmm. people before you commit to something long long term yeah and you and you grow a community too with it like we have 
I have probably maybe, I mean, I looked at how many customers we served. We served over a thousand customers in two months. And out of those thousand, I for sure can say like, I know 20 to 30 of them by name. So I, and they've been repeat customers, obviously, otherwise I wouldn't know them by name, but they like would come back. So I'm kind of growing a community through that too. Related to the the next question that I do want to ask you is, uh, are, what's some of the lessons that you kind of like picked up doing the kiosk that you would, uh, you'd want other people to maybe learn? Let me think if I could think of a different one. The the one that was just the product line, like I, kind of the idea of having a wider net and just having so many fish kind of swim by, you need a bigger net to catch, catch some fish. <laughs> um, that was a big one. Um, let me think what else that we kind of learned. Um, I mean, that's just, I'm trying to think of some maybe specific examples, but in general, just consumer behavior is really interesting and how you position products and just experimenting with like where we place things and how we place them and what works well. Um, I kind of wish, I think in the future, I mean, definitely something I will do with our brick and mortar when we have another space is kind of collect some data on those things. Um, it's kind of hard to do with our kiosk because we just had a really small space. So we just kind of moved things around. But I'm sure some other maybe more veteran store owners have data on specific like retail fixtures and what percentage of sales those produce in their store. Um, I think that could be something definitely worth um, looking into or um, considering as you if someone were to open a kiosk, we'll, how to place products. I know I posted a video on uh, the Facebook group. I know that you're a part of two opening at game stores. And I asked for feedback on how it, how it looked. Um, and what was actually really good is doing some pop-up events before that, because then I had some experience on like how to set up a table. Like you, if you look at our first pop-up event, we just, we essentially have, we borrowed a canopy from the cafe that we did it at. We had a plastic table, no cover yet and some lawn chairs and that's all we had but now like if you look at one of our latest events like we have our uh we kind of have a color canopy that matches our brand not our branded canopy but we have our branded like backdrop our flag our our uh like tablecloths and then we have a shelving system and i've been able to realize like how i can place uh games on that shelving system but just kind of having that learning experience starting very simple then getting into the kiosk if i wouldn't have had that experience previously setting up the kiosk. I'm not sure how it would have looked at the first place, but like I posted in the group and I had a lot of feedback where it looked, it looked fine, but I was expecting some stuff like some more uh, critical feedback than what I got, but I did get some feedback that helped a little bit of some, some things. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The group is generally pretty supportive. So if you're listening to this and you are not part of the group, uh, looking into the various Facebook groups. There's a whole bunch of them for, for store owners. Uh, definitely, you know, jump in and join some of the conversation. Uh, but that <clears throat> merchandising definitely matters. That's mm-hmm. something that uh, will change the way people perceive what you're doing and what you're selling. And something as simple as like just having, you know, products underneath a light source that kind of like just illuminates them nicely could be enough to have people be actually stop and look and, and, you know, examine and then maybe purchase, right? Like sessions in the first LGS success summit, they, they talked a lot about merchandising and mm-hmm. how one corner of the store that just didn't get that light, you know, just didn't hit it right. That was the dead spot in the store. People would like, they'd go and then they would just walk right past because, you know, like subconsciously, you're not even really thinking about it, but because it's the dark corner, you, you know, you just kind of ignore it and you go towards the light, towards the, the, the obviously exciting or, uh, like newly featured products. 
something as simple as that can actually make a, a tremendous difference, which is kind of ridiculous, but you know, it's also <laughs> yeah. part of the fun, right? You have to like you, you testing and ex and uh, playing around and experimenting with like different shelving shapes and different tiers and, you know, different presentations that uh, try to put the products in the best light that you can see big changes just by, uh, just by changing some of your methods with that. Yeah, I would say, too, maybe a plug of a book, Paco Underhill, Why We Buy. I know maybe it's been brought up on your podcast. I know I've, I've got sure the recommendation from, yeah, from, <laughs> from somewhere. And, um, yeah, it's huge for, like, understanding consumer behavior and how people purchase things and why, why they buy things. Definitely recommend that. Again, I will link that in the show notes so it's a little bit easier to find. Uh, so question number two, related to, you know, lessons learned, uh, you know, what – at at this point, you've uh, you're well on your way towards a brick and mortar store, but I'm sure you've made some missteps along the way. You know, some some things that might not have gone the way that you hoped initially. Uh, so, what's one of the biggest mistakes you've made in business so far? This one was hard because there's so many mistakes, and <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a good one to share as an example. Um, what I and it's hard to think back. So. Maybe I can just share a challenge that I have right now that's kind of like, well, how am I going to overcome this? And that's sure. using my space wisely and my cash flow wisely. So going into the holiday season, I may have overextended. I feel like I was very close. Um, and I wish I would have maybe kind of cut under a little bit more to have a stronger cash flow going into this year. Um, so, But that's kind of like I have to make those mistakes to learn to know what to do and how to order. Um, it was my first time ordering one for a major convention like Comic-Con and two um, for my first like real holiday season. So um, I, and I'm not really sure what advice I can share to not make that mistake, but um, that, so that's been like managing how much inventory to have and also my cash flow and capital that I have for that to spend. And then, like, I mean, I can't show you the whole office, but like, I'm pretty much packed to the brim in this office space. And I'll probably end up either if we can't find a uh, place to open sooner, we'll probably get a, um, what do you call a storage unit for a little bit, um, just to kind of put some uh, games that we have a bunch of copies of in. Um, but yeah, that's kind of been the biggest, the biggest challenge and kind of mistake. Um, another one that I kind of mentioned or I brought up a couple of times is Comic-Con. So I don't know how, if it was worth what we spent for it, definitely bottom line dollar amount. It was not worth it. And I also, another mistake I made with that is hired too many people for that event. I had three other people help me with it. I did not need three other people. I mean, I technically could have managed my booth by myself. Um, but it's just a weird year too. I don't know if it was because of the pandemic and they just, I know they spaced out the floor more because of the pandemic, but I don't know if they like limited the number of people at a time. Um, but it wasn't like any other convention where I've been to where you're just like constantly with people and helping people. Um, but the, like there was a, a bit of downtime on a couple of days. Saturday was really busy. I probably needed a person or two on Saturday, but um, like we spent, I don't, I don't know. I want to say like, I spent probably to look at my exact numbers. I know the booth space was like twelve hundred. There's pretty expensive at conventions like that, and then just having people help me that was another like a thousand dollars in labor, and then just other small expenses like uh, marketing stuff, probably another couple hundred dollars. So like almost four thousand dollars, and we did 
not do that in sales over the weekend. Um, so like, but then we did get a huge, massive social media following because we ran some like uh, giveaways throughout the, the weekend. So we maybe long term, we'll see. I know I did get a few customers after uh, the weekend that ordered through us online. So I don't know. It's just um, if you do a convention, fun. maybe expect like it's they're expensive, like those big ones like that. That's definitely a challenge is if you've never done conventions before, I guess it's also a universal kind of business challenge, right? Like you don't really know what uh, demand is going to be until you've kind of lived through the season, mm-hmm. right? Like if you've, your first year, you don't you have no idea how many people are going to come in necessarily. You don't know what the customer flow is going to be like. You don't know what, you know, hours of the day are really going to be the ones that you're going to need to staff for. It's experience kind of gets you there, right? You need to track it and figure out, okay, well, we were clearly understaffed here because we were stressed out of our minds. And, you know, this time period, like Thursdays are just like a dead zone for some reason. And we just don't need that many people on the floor. But you don't really know that until you get there. Right. And uh, conventions, especially like you said, like this, well, the past two years have been, you know, completely bananas in terms of uh, nobody knows what to expect right now. And it's very hard to be like, okay, I know exactly what this is going to be like, even if somebody who's been to conventions for, for a decade, you know, the last couple of years have been like really up in the air. You don't know what to expect. And it really, really depends on where you are, right? Like, uh, it's very location dependent mm-hmm. on, on what's going on and what's, uh, what kind of impacts you're going to be seeing. Uh, but yeah, that, that's definitely a challenge. It's definitely something to, to, to keep in mind when, if somebody is think, thinking about, maybe I should try out a convention or maybe I should try out a uh, pop-up shop or something like that. Uh, maybe play conservatively instead of uh, going a little bit over the top, I guess. I would say I'm still glad we did it, but it's also just uh, probably wish I wouldn't have had as much help. That's one thing I think I would have changed. Um, But I I had no idea. I had no idea what to expect. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah, and it's also also fun kind of measuring results, right? Like it's, Mm. for one thing, for an event like that, for a convention, it's... uh, you know, you can look at the days and you can look at the sales for the day and then kind of see, well, what happened, right? You can look at the hard numbers yeah. right there, but it doesn't necessarily factor into the, uh, you know, the extra ancillary stuff that comes after the fact, right? Like you said, like, you know, you, you definitely know that at least a few customers, you know, ended up shopping with you afterwards mm-hmm. and you know that you got some social media exposure, you got some new followers, like what's the value on that? How is yeah. that going to turn into, you know, bottom line revenue down the road, measuring results sometimes you need a longer time frame right you can't just look at the the exact days of that event because there's stuff that happens after the fact uh, that will that does play into it and you might actually make the wrong decision and evaluate it and saying oh this you know this this uh, convention that i went to you know it didn't really do enough i i ended up losing money like you know you said it was really expensive i over labored and i didn't make enough sales to cover the costs mm-hmm. but you know that doesn't necessarily like maybe Maybe you got a really great reputational boost because of that. You found a lot of people or a lot of people found you and, you know, became more interested in what you're doing. And then down the road over the next like three to six months, they become customers. Yeah. But you won't necessarily put those two and two together unless you're really like really paying attention. Like, did I meet you at, and, you know, Comic-Con back in October? Like, were you there? Yeah. Like that, that's, that's an interesting challenge we... of, uh, of doing that kind of thing. I was going to say, because you're sharing with uh, maybe a repeat customer, I actually, there was one customer that visited us at the kiosk of the mall, and then I saw him at Comic-Con, and I recognized him as like a dad and maybe, I think, three of his sons. Um, And they, 
I like said hi, and they came to the kiosk like three or four more times throughout the the course of the time we were there. And now they're a pretty long term customer when it comes to, like they they buy Pokemon from us. So yeah, no, I think that that shows that's a perfect example of the power of actually developing a relationship mm. and getting to know people. Like especially once you like okay, not not should I recognize you, but like hey, you're Dan. You know, like I've seen you before. You know. How's it going, right? Like right. once you get onto a first name basis with people, uh, it, they're a lot more willing to come back and 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 have that experience again, right? So uh, it, it always reminds me. Like I, I use a lot of my examples, a lot of my thoughts end up going back to Starbucks and the way <laughs> yeah, that yeah. they operate. Because generally speaking, Starbucks is one of my. Uh, I, f- I feel like it's a top tier example of like a really good third place, which is in a lot of ways, what a game store ends up being, right? Mm. It's, a, it's a really good model for them to follow. But one of the things that they emphasize and like it's hammered into the training program that you, you know, you ask for the person's name and you are encouraged to find out, you know, who they are and kind of get and have a little bit of a chit chat, right? While you're making the drink or whatever, and you're, you're handing it off at the bar, you're supposed to engage this person, right? Because they know that like when they person, when the person knows you, they know the barista, right? They understand, you know, they, they get to know them by name. And when the barista can recognize them, that connection really makes it hard to, you know, it makes it hard for the person to, to go somewhere else, right? When they want to satisfy their, their coffee desire, right? They'll mm. probably become Starbucks customers for life. Like if they go in two or three times and that person's like, hey, Bob, how's it going? You know, they're, they're going to become repeat customers for a very long time. They know it's worth the investment and creating that connection. It's a definitely important part of the business in general. Flip that on its head then. So we've <laughs> talked about some challenges, some uh, some difficulties. What about, what's something that you're really proud of? What's the biggest win you've had so far that you uh, that you want to share with? Um, Let's see. I think a couple things that are just coming to my mind. One is a huge one that I feel like is probably one of the best business, like as a business decision that I've done in a while is shift our store from WooCommerce to Shopify. Um, WooCommerce, like, I don't, it's not a bad platform and it's very flexible uh, and you can do a lot with just hosting on WordPress and adding WooCommerce. However, Shopify is just so much more streamlined and it just integrates so much better with things and being able to add products to our site, we can do it like, I don't know, it probably takes like 30 seconds to add a product to our site or WooCommerce, it would be like a two, three minute process for each product. So like that is a huge save of time um and then yeah the other one probably like this one is actually related to the other question like mistakes Uh, i know i saw a lot of this happen throughout the craze of pokemon and i was kind of nervous for it whether i should how much i should order and how how much i should i guess just how much of it i should order when it was popular and i'm glad i kind of eased into the product line and i've been doing that very well with a lot of different product lines i don't jump all in like Another example, we just bought some miniatures and just like just 50 of them from one like particular brand, I think uh, Reaper miniatures Um, and just like kind of just starting slowly with just different product lines. I mean, it really saved us with Pokemon because we weren't on the hook with like 100 booster boxes that our distributor needs to now sell to us. And like, I don't have money for 100 booster boxes, but and now Pokemon people aren't. I mean, it's it's still in demand, I feel like, but people aren't spending the MSRP on them, like some of the booster boxes online, you can get for below MSRP. You can get for below what I paid for them. So, um, yeah, it's just like I think that was a good 
kind of gut instinct that we had when we when we started getting into Pokemon. Um, and then just going back to community, I think that's been a big decision just from the very beginning is that's been our focus is not really like we're not a a retail operation we are but really our focus is kind of on growing that community and we want to have events like that is what we started as and that's we're really ready to get going with that um hopefully next year or i guess it's already this year so hopefully this year like we can find a place that's willing to have us um i know the cafe is kind of more open we have a good relationship with the cafe that we do pop-ups at. We hosted like a pub quiz night. Well, I guess like cafe quiz night there not too long ago. Um, so hoping we can do some events there or other places in the area. That's definitely a a good win, right? It's a good victory, or at least it's an avoided loss. I guess that would be another way to put it. Yeah. Right. The idea of uh, like we kind of touched on it already, but the idea of being a little bit more conservative when you're just starting out. And not jumping into something, even when it's super hot, like that's mm. could be a trap, right? Like you don't want to be stuck with uh, a massive order that you can no longer sell, or you have to sell at a loss, right? That that could be devastating when you're just getting started. So, what's the number one thing that you think game store owners should be thinking about right now? You know, early 2022. What should game store owners be thinking about? I like this is kind of tough for me since I don't have the brick and mortar store, um, but I am online, and I think that is one thing is like how. Like, how are you going to set yourself apart, not only from, like, getting your games online, but also, like, just Amazon, and then also other places for entertainment? Like, how are you going to be that retail experience where people just want to go? Um, and the community is a big part of it, and a lot of game stores really thrive on community. Um, just thinking about some other game stores and some ones that I follow on TikTok. There's one in Pennsylvania. They're more like, I don't know exactly the concept, but it comes from, uh, he talked about it and I might have to send you the link of the store. Um, but it comes from Japan and they have a lot of like, they have an Asian market in there. They have anime you can check out. They have games. They have a, uh, a streaming station. They have like a ta- like table space to play. Um, they have a painting station. So just like that experience of going to the store is something that you want to go do and you'll spend some money there. Um, so I think just like what can you do to really lean into that? And then you also mentioned like third place, like how can you really create that community aspect? I think that's that's the future forward with all of retail, or especially like small store retails. I mean, like you can go to Target and Walmart and you'll get those, you know, those deals and you'll save some money. But you're not going to get an experience at Target and Walmart. You're not going to get someone who who knows games there. Um, it's kind of what goes through my brain when when a customer comes in, especially at the mall. You get it, you get that a lot. Like, oh, I can get it at Target for $28. Like, well, does Target know how to play it? I can teach you how to play it if you want. Like, you can bring it back, and I'll go over some rules with you if you want. But um, just kind of how to set yourself apart from the, from other retail stores. That's one of the most important things that you can think about when you are you know, putting together this plan for your business. And it's trying to, you know, again, stand out and identif- and differentiate yourself from all the other possibilities, the, all the other entertainment options that your customers can go into, right? Like, I think there's, there's two big parts to that, is that right now, I think there's going to be a massive renaissance in terms of face-to-face mm-hmm. connection. People, like, you know, people have been <laughs> so mostly isolated for the past two years. There is a huge desire for people to 
kind of regain that normalcy and have those, you know, experiences where they can go out with their friends, where they can have fun and, you know, sit across the table from somebody and, and enjoy an experience together, right? Like that's going to be, there's going to be a massive push for that. And I feel like game stores, third, you know, the, uh, the traditional model of the game store, the third place, the community based, the, uh, the place where people can come and enjoy and play games and, and, uh, you know, find new friends and that sort of thing. I think they're very well positioned for like the next couple mm-hmm. of years as that, that trend's going to come back. People are going to, uh, I feel like that's going to come back with a vengeance. People are going to yeah. really want that coming up in like, you know, uh, people already want that now, but yeah, I feel it's like... going to become a thing as it eases up a little bit. People are going to run back to places that can provide that kind of experience. Yeah. I feel like it was already starting before the pandemic because you, you still see like yep. board game cafes. They're opening up everywhere. Um, I mean, one example I share with people when I was in Taiwan, when we moved to Taipei, I, would look online for like game stores and there were maybe like two or three that I knew for sure were a game store. By the time we left, there were a couple dozen like, and that's within the span of three years. It's uh, yeah. And they're mainly game cafes in Taipei. It's not really, they, it's, they sell games, but then they also have like a cafe area. Uh, yeah. I remember, like I remember reading a book several years ago that was, uh, it was called the revenge of analog. And it was Mm -hmm. this, general trend over the last like decade or so leading up until like, you know, early 2020 where the, uh, the physical experiences were kind of regaining this, this momentum. And like the trend was moving away from digital in some, in some cases, right. Mm. We've become a little bit jaded. We're, we're a little bit, you know, people are starting to notice that they feel maybe less happy or less connected despite the fact that like they're almost always on Facebook or always on Twitter and like they're, constantly having these interactions back and forth, they don't really feel the same connection that you do when you actually have a face-to-face real life conversation with people. And the, uh, yeah, like it was, it, it basically talked about like how, you know, vinyl was now becoming a thing. People oh, yeah. were going back to like, yeah. Oh, you know, MP3s, MP3s are so lame now. I'm going to go back to like the vinyl record. Right. And like just the real life, uh, experiences, the, the, the stuff that gets made with your hands, you know, like that kind of thing that was actually having a bit of a renaissance as well. Mm. But one of the big ones was specifically, they mentioned, uh, uh, snakes and lot or yeah, snakes and lattes in, in, uh, oh, yeah. in Toronto as like this board game cafe as the, one of the, uh, progenitors of this model that was finding a massive amount of success just from having this kind of this providing that experience. And I think that is a, uh, that's a definite trend that's, uh, progressing that in that direction over the next couple of years. I guess it's not binary, but it also like feeds off each other because I think you see I'm on TikTok and that's kind of like that's a huge platform. I would I could tell game store owners to really start using and taking advantage before it's too late um, because you really see some growth there. Um, but I follow people on TikTok and you'll see people they'll show their room and it's a bunch of like anime figures and stuff. And that is the like physical component that people want to go purchase. But what's driving that? demand or that need or want for it is these platforms online still really matters right people are still living a large portion of their life uh you Mm. know through a computer screen and through this through these online platforms so you can't ignore it right like it's not something that you can just say oh it's not worth it it's not my thing i'm Mm. you know i'm not going to be focused on that because i'm old school or whatever the case may be uh you do need to pay attention to the online technology like you can't you cannot you know, have a website. You can't not be on social media. That that's yeah. pretty much 
the the very baseline uh, that's expected of you, right? If people want to visit your store or if people want to find out about your store, they're probably going to search for you online first. They're probably mm-hmm. going to see if you've got a Facebook page and see if you're posting anything. And, you know, if you're not, it just doesn't look like you exist <laughs> for a lot of people. So like, yeah, table stakes, right? You need to get in, in on the online uh, portion of things, but you also do need to provide that real life experience that people want. And it's the com- combination of the two, right? I, it's the, uh, the, the, the marketing brings them in and then the experience is what turns them into a customer. That's what, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's what closes the deal. What would the best piece of advice for somebody who's planning on starting their own game store be? If you had, you know, if somebody was maybe in your position a year ago or six months ago and they said, Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to open up next door to you or anything like that, but I'm, I'm moving along the same path as you are, you know, what would you tell your past self, I guess, uh, mm. to, uh, to avoid or to think about? Or what I learned and I think what worked well for me, but then maybe you have a different experience is either start conservatively and that's kind of the experience that I really lived through because you're going to make a lot of mistakes and those mistakes are going to cost you money. (laughs) So if you start slow, you can afford to make some small money mistakes or have enough capital to be able to make a lot of mistakes and you can start quick Um, because I know, like, looking back at this year, like, I'm, I'm going to do, like, a real audit of what I spent my money on, like, entirely and, like, look through the last quarter and everything. And just knowing I, I spent money where I shouldn't have or I did some mistakes or I bought some products that have been sitting for a little bit and I maybe should not have went so much into that product. Um, and I guess that's kind of maybe a side note is, like, really... Um, casting a wider net with your product versus going just into one product unless you're really going to focus like unless you're going to be a pokemon store i guess it's a little bit different but um yeah i think those that's kind of a big thing because you're going to make a lot of mistakes and a lot of times those mistakes are going to cost you money or time so you got to really be ready to eat those mistakes i think that's good advice i think it's a really good way to frame it too you know if you want to if you want to open quick and you want to open fast and you want to just plow through, then you need more money. You need more capital to be able to absorb those mistakes and not go bankrupt, <laughs> not uh, yeah. not make a fatal mistake, right? Mm-hmm. Or the other option is to go slow, take it easy, and try to minimize the cost of those mistakes so that you can you know make them, learn from them, and then still take off, right? Still hit that uh, that runway and not crash and burn on the way down. I, I don't know if we mentioned it already. Maybe not, maybe. But uh, what's your favorite tool or piece of technology that you use in your business right now? I was thinking about this. and Maybe I'll share. I'm going to share three. Um, okay. One that is pretty obvious is my phone and social media and just being able to connect with the world through that. Like, it's a crazy what we can do with our phone now. Like, you can create video content that can get millions of views on your phone. Like, just now being on the TikTok platform and I see people like we're on a podcast, we have our mics, right? You have people just pulling the lab and like talking into it and just like, you know, what are those plosives making a bunch of like terrible mic sounds, but the (laughs) the videos are like super engaging and people are like liking them. They're getting shared. Like you can do that just on your phone. Um, And then another one you like to share and you had a recent podcast episode is your email list, like your marketing email list. Like that is a really good way to connect with your customers and really make it personal because in my emails, I always mention at the end, you can always reply to this email. I'll get back to you. Like 
a lot of people don't think you can do that. I didn't think you could do that until I started online business. Like, what? I can reply to someone through their email newsletter? That's crazy. Because um, you kind of have this feeling that they're, I think you it's mentioned like automated, this. automated, you know. Well, yeah. so, many of the, so many of the emails that we do get from big corporations is like, don't don't reply to this email. It goes to a <laughs> mailbox that nobody looks at, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's just a robot. And we're just sending these out to you. And, oh, man, I forgot my third one. Um so I might have to pass on that. Those are those are two good ones, I think. My suggested third one would, would have been uh, Shopify, but uh, we already oh, did yeah. kind of say, hey, you know, like, hey, Shopify's this is a, a really nice, nice platform for getting things online, and it's really streamlined. And uh, yeah, like there are other options. Like I, I, I tell store owners that you know Shopify is probably the one that I recommend the most. Like if you want to get your store online, if you want a, a platform that you can sell that's super easy to get into and doesn't take a lot of work and doesn't take. Uh, like any real development skills, you don't need to know code or anything like that. Uh, Shopify is great right out of the box and it's super convenient and it makes things a lot easier. It has a few shortfalls depending on mm. what your business model is, right? Like some things yeah. uh, don't quite plug into Shopify, uh, like singles are the thing that come mm. up to the top of my mind in terms of that. But if you know, you're not a singles focused uh, game store, Shopify is a fantastic option for you to get stuff online. Yeah. And there's, I think you, you've connected with binder POS. I kind of, chatted with yep. them a little bit i think they have a way to use shopify with i yeah I'm yeah their sure. their platform is built on top of shopify and then mm. kind of in- integrate some extra stuff to make uh, the single side of things a little bit easier so if you want mm. in a sense the best of both worlds binder is a, a pretty good yeah. way to go yeah no i've definitely definitely recommended them as well one of my last questions one of the questions that i always ask people on the store on the sh- on the <laughs> on the podcast is what does success look like to you? Because success and you know achievement, it, it's really a personal kind of thing, and everybody comes into this business with a different idea as to what they're trying to get out of it, mm. right? Sometimes you don't have any idea. You're just like, oh, I just well, I really like games, so I thought this would make a lot of sense. But hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully there, you've got a direction that you're trying to move in. So I'm curious, you know, what uh, what are you working towards, and what does success really look like? Yeah, um, there's, so there's, I don't know if you're familiar with Gary Vanderchuk. He's a, yeah, Uh, he's someone I've kind of, I first listened to him maybe a few years ago when I got into online business and I was like, who's this guy? But then this last year, I kind of been listening to him like, wow, he has some really like high quality messages. And so there's a couple things. He always talks about like people have this like idea that they're going to make a million dollars. But really like what I want is I want to be able to earn like, like $60,000 a year with the board game store. Like that's personal, like success for me as far as financial level. Um, and then I, we're, we're, my wife and I are really doing some things that making some choices that aren't like super awesome for us, but we're still glad and fortunate that we are able to take these choices. Like we're, we're living with our parents, my wife's parents, which is, um, like they're they're super awesome and we're super blessed to have that but it's a decision we're taking because we're kind of taking some risk now to create more flexibility down the road when we have kids and when we when we really start our family and that's another thing I want to be able to have that flexibility down the road doing something I really enjoy um and then another thing that Gary also talks about is this falling in love with the process versus the destination and there's also a book that I really enjoy, uh, Brandon Sanderson. I don't know if you've read The Cosmere, and um, but it's Journey Before Destination. And so I really want to set this high, crazy out there destination of having BGE's tabletop on all six continents. <laughs> so that's like a way like out there picture. But um, 
it's kind of this idea that I really like want to work towards spreading um, what our mission is. I mean, and a lot of other game stores kind of share a similar mission, how tabletop game stores or tabletop games are very positive and they can be very great as like relationship builders. They're forming connections. Okay. There's nothing wrong with a big goal. If anything, that's the kind of goal you should be aiming for. Cause then, you know, like the, the old adage, you aim for the stars, but you know, maybe you'll just end up on the moon. That's still pretty yeah. good too. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, I did want to cover some of the thoughts that you, you sent me before we recorded mm. that. I don't know if we necessarily touched on just some lessons, some, yeah. some ideas that you, you think are important. And, uh, I wanted to give you a chance to kind of go over the three things that you sent me because I think they're really good, you know, messages to perhaps, you know, put out into the universe for people who are listening to this right now uh, to keep in mind. Um, one was done is better than perfect. I think for me, like these are three things that I just needed to learn to be able to do business in the first place and then just to move forward with business and like keep these things in mind. It's kind of like a mantra for me is done is better than perfect. And that comes for anything, like whether it's starting a game store starting a new process of doing something, starting a podcast, starting like new content. Like you're not going to have it perfect when you launch it and just do it. Even if it's not good, you're going to improve it as you go. And that's just really important. Just do your best and put it out there and then reiterate and change and implement and upgrade and update it. And then the other one is competitors are better viewed as collaborators. This is something I learned very early on when I started my IELTS uh, English tutoring service. I reached out to another teacher and I was like, wow, he is really receptive and like helpful. And kind of learning that was really important for me early on. And then it's even more so in the game hobby industry because there's so much room for growth. Like, I mean, we talked about it. There's game stores opening everywhere. Like, even with, with our learning resources, this is something we hope to collaborate with other game stores down the road is like how can we help them kind of introduce this idea of tabletop games for learning in schools and classrooms um, and just like kind of reaching out to other people and just seeing how you can work together. There's always a way you can kind of work together. Um, and then the last one is no one knows what they're doing. <laughs> like even yeah. the like best, biggest corporations, you see some of the silly mistakes they make and just a lot of stuff is like really new as far as like social media and everything. Like just, I don't know. I think that helps me to realize when I go into like meetings with people, it's like, well, yeah, you, you're experienced and you know, like you have some experience under your belt, but at the same vein, like, I don't know how to frame this. Like we're both in the same boat and we're both trying to figure it out. Yeah. No, everybody is just to some extent making it up as they go along. Even the most experienced and expert person, you know, they're, they're still learning. They're still trying to figure things out. They're still, like, like, there is no real perfection, right? There's no, mm. like, finished line where you've you've done everything that you can do on this in this area, and you now, you've, you're complete. There's always, the world is always changing. There's always more to learn. And, yeah, we're always, we're all figuring this out as we go along. And even when you do figure something out, you know, it may not make, may not apply three to six months later it might be the circumstances yeah. may have changed and somebody else with a different approach might be uh more suited <laughs> for what you're doing uh yeah no i love those those three little bite-sized pieces of wisdom i, I feel like they're all anything they can compress into a single sentence that kind of like feels profound i'm always looking for those kinds of things i love i love those uh those little things those mini epiphanies in a sense yeah thank and, you for uh, for letting me share <laughs> no problem i well 
I wanted to share because I agree with all three of them. And I, I think <laughs> I've, I've probably had a conversation with somebody at some point kind of covering all the, all different aspects over the years. Uh, but the one that I wanted to like really emphasize is, is the second one that you talked about with the don't view com- competition. Uh, don't view other game stores as necessarily people that you need to combat, right? Like these mm-hmm. are people in the same boat as you, like, like literally, you know, these are entrepreneurs. These are, these are uh, business owners that are just, for the most part, trying to do something incredible and do something, you know, beneficial for them, for their customers and for their families. And there's no reason to see them as an enemy, right? Mm-hmm. Almost every single time there is a opportunity for you to cooperate in some capacity. There's a way for you to work together that you don't have to necessarily butt heads. You can find a way that, you know, you can be complimentary to each other. You can share customers in a way you can, you know, you can change your program so that you don't overlap and step on each other's toes. There's all sorts of ways to avoid the unfortunate, you know, angry feelings of having mm. somebody open up uh, nearby to you, kind of selling to the same customer base. Uh, but generally speaking, the more game store, the more game stores that exist and that are performing at a high level, that have you know a good good base of uh, good customer service and great foundational business skills and offer a really great experience, the more of those that exist, the bigger the pie becomes mm-hmm. the more yeah, gamers are created, sure. right? The more it becomes a more mainstream phenomenon where people are more, more uh, open to the idea of playing a three hour board game. That's <laughs> yeah. not monopoly, right? Like, yeah. Or getting into Pokemon or getting into magic or Warhammer mm. or, you know, the, um, the other facets of the industry, right? Like it's, we, I think the, the rising tide raises all boats kind of thing, right? Is that uh, if we all do well and we all work together, I think everyone can win even more so than uh, than working alone. So I definitely wanted to, to kind of just add a little cherry on top of that one. And I think it's a really great point to kind of wrap up the conversation, tie a little bow on it and say, hey, you know, we're all in this together and we can all do better if we all work together. So thank you very much for, for offering those bits of wisdom and for coming on the podcast and uh, sharing some of your experience with us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tom, for having me. This was, this was fun. Like I said, I'm always excited to talk about this stuff. All right. And before we sign off, where can people go to find out more about you? Uh, so our website is bgetabletop.com. And then if you search any social media, we should show up that way too. Um, and then my email is either our store email is games at boardgamewitheducation.com. And then usually like my personal one, I kind of just share as podcast at boardgamewitheducation.com. Awesome. So if anyone wants to reach out to Dustin, ask him some questions or, you know, just to say thanks for, for sharing. Uh, that's all you got to do is reach out to him, send him an email, let him know, and then uh, let him know that I sent you over there. That'd be great. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to say goodbye to everybody, and we'll see everyone again on the next episode. Thanks again.